yes? Is it about the head? I am dead. Yes, well, the thing is, we've got some people from America for dinner tonight. Who is it, darling? It's a Mr. Death or something. He's come about the reaping. I don't think we need any at the moment. Hello. Don't leave him hanging around outside, darling. Ask him in. Darling, I don't think it's quite the moment. Do come in. Come along in. Come and have a drink. Do. Come on. It's one of the little men from the village. Do come in. Please. This is Mr. Death. Well, do get Mr. Death a drink, darling. This is Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. Uh, Richard here, and I'm at Phoenix Comic Con, and uh, it's been a great weekend. It's Sunday. It's the last day of the show, and I'm honored to be sitting down with Derek Riggs, who uh, I would say needs no introduction, but I'm going to let him say who he is and what he does, because you've seen it. You probably love it. Um, His work is fantastic, and I've been a fan of it since, uh, I want to say, 15 years old when I bought my first Killers t-shirt. So here's Derek. Um, Give us a brief rundown of what it is you do. Well, my name is Derek Riggs, and I I paint record covers. Uh, Used to, Mm -hmm. a bit more in the past. Uh, And I invented Eddie, the monster that Iron Maiden made a lot of money off of. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you to a lesser degree? <laughs> and me to a lesser degree, yes. <laughs> and so, uh, and I understand this started uh, as a, a, a painting, uh, Electric Matthew. Yeah, that was his original name. Um, I started off, it was, um, oh dear, where to start? I was trying to make album covers back in the 1970s. Majority of album covers were just shit. They were awful. Mm-hmm. They were just dreadful. Look at Paranoid by Black Sabbath. You know, yeah. A guy jumping out from behind a tree with a plastic orange sword and a crash helmet. Yes. That was about the level of it. You know. <laughs> and um, so we all used to laugh at that back in the day, by the way. <laughs> Even then it was considered, what? <laughs> so um, anyway, I started trying to work out how to do it. And I thought, well, symbolism's got to be involved in it. Right. And I was quite into that, you know, making up little symbols for things. And, and I, I don't mean like logos, I mean right. pictorial symbols, you know. Right. And uh, so I, I was busy drawing monsters and I got this idea from H.P. Lovecraft. It's actually quoted on the, um, one of their live albums. Um, um, that is not dead which can eternal lie. 
but with strange eons, even death may die. And I thought, that's interesting. Let's do something with that. So then I started reading more about H.P. Lovecraft. And he had this idea that horror should be in the modern environment and not in like Transylvania or someplace. Because, you know, nobody's ever been to Transylvania. Right. Even the Transylvanians haven't been to Transylvania, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> so um, he started putting it in his local fishing villages and things. And I thought, well, I live in London and London looks like shit, so let's make horror in London. You know? Right. Um, so I, I, th at the time it was like the late 70s and there was a lot of punk around. England had like four million unemployed. Uh, in case you don't get the scale of that, you were worried when you had two million unemployed in America. Right. And England is about the same size and population as California. Right. So it was a big problem. You know, you couldn't get a job. The people at the exchange just didn't even bother anymore. They just gave you the money. It was that bad. Right. Um, um, so it, it, punk was all about urban decay and... and The social unrest, really, wasn't it? Yeah, we had riots. We had marches in the street every weekend. You know, it's probably not realised now the level that we were fucked up. Right, back then right. <laughs> um, and and it, it was about that urban decay and the wasted youth and the, the wasted opportunities and, and all of that and I put that together start, um, I thought how do I draw that and I had this um, an idea of using a death figure right. um, and I put it in modern clothing and stuck it in the streets where I used to live the first two albums, the buildings in the background, they're not, that's not a fantasy landscape. That's where I used to live. If you go on my website, there's actually photographs of those streets and that block of flats. That's the They've world They've changed lived a bit, in. yeah. Uh, I was in London and there were whole streets in London where I lived that were, that were abandoned. London was emptying. Right. right? The, the, the buildings were filling up with squatters, the roofs were collapsing. You know, for a few years there, it was looking really grim. There were, there were places, I, I went to the Angel uh, in Islington, and there were like boarded up shops all up and down the high street. Curiously, this is the actual place where Iron Maiden had their first official Iron Maiden office, which is a bit of a strange coincidence. Um, anyway, I was trying to put all that into a picture form so people could understand it and read it, you know. And so I, I did the first Iron Maiden, well, what was later used as the first Iron Maiden cover. Right. This is about a year and a half before Iron Maiden existed. Right. So he was a product of the punk era, and he had sticky-up orange hair. Right. He was a punk. Right. right. Um, and then punk sort of faded away, and heavy metal started coming back again. Because heavy metal died in England for about five or six years. And in America, we called it the new wave of British heavy metal. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, most of us were listening to the old wave, the original wave of British heavy metal, which, of course, included um, uh, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, uh, Judas Priest. Yeah. Um, you know, well, I guess Judas Priest sort of uh, had a foot in, in the first yeah. wave and the second mm -hmm. wave. But, but we were very, very excited to uh, hear this new sound, and uh, it had a look to it that, that you yeah. definitely gave it. Uh, of course, you, you sort of happened into it, it turns out, then, didn't it? Uh, they found well, you. Well, I was, not really. You found <laughs> them? <laughs> that's, that's what they like people to think. Okay. You know? uh, I was working um, 
painting album covers and book covers in and around London. All right. And I did a couple of, I did about three or four album covers of various sorts for EMI. And there were a couple of, um, I had an art agent who used to sell things and stuff. And um, um, the, the posters for the jazz albums, these were jazz albums that had a kind of fantasy lilt to the cover, kind of fantasy and surrealism. And jazz people either loved them or hated them. Jazz people are weird about the way they present themselves. Right. You know, very fetishistic about it. it's all about the music you know right. and like you know yeah but you're up against all these people that use all the advertising techniques in the world and they will paste you to the pavement mate you know <laughs> you will not sell an album which is what happens in England you know <laughs> right so um, so anyway um, their manager was wandering around wondering what to do at EMI and saw my posters right and said I want to see his portfolio because oh, awesome. they were quite striking. They're in my book, you right. know, Run for Cover, The Art of Derek Riggs. Right. Very, uh, and were you very actually, heavy book. <laughs> were you nicknamed Dr. Death or was no. that just something made in play? They just made that shit up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> It'd make up a different name on every album cover, you know. I was, in the end, I was like, really? <laughs> Nobody called me any of that ever, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, here comes Dr. Death. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't go to seven years of death school? No. <laughs> to earn that title? <laughs> Greetings, I am Dr. Death. I paint pictures, actually. <laughs> I was very surprised when you didn't have a cloak when I came up to your booth. <laughs> I just took it off, put my scythe behind the cupboard there because it frightens children, you know. Right. <laughs> it frightens young children and the infirm. <laughs> the infirm get a bit disturbed, you know. <laughs> so in those early years, as you were earning uh, nicknames you didn't know about, did you actually hang out with the band much at all? Did you get to Not really. their, their input on I what was, they wanted? Or? I, I dropped into their first recording of their first album, you know, a couple of times to talk about covers and this. And uh, Paul Diano was singing at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he was um, there. And uh, I don't know, there were just these guys and I had this... Because I was doing this all the time, you know. Yeah. I'd pop into a recording studio, show people album. The, the jazz albums I was talking about, I got to go in Abbey Road Studios in London. Oh, wow. And, and punts around in there for a little bit like, a, like it was something special, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was a funny story, actually. Because I had this long frizzy hair and his weird fucking clothes. And I was carrying a portfolio that I'd made. I have two pieces of hardboard that are duct taped together, right? Uh -huh. So it was this giant thing because painting's quite big. Right. And if you just take those and you put them on the seat next to you on the bus, some fat woman always sits on them, <laughs> right? So you have to like armor plate them. So and, and in London can be quite windy, so you'd be walking down the street with what's basically a sail. Right. <laughs> the wind would hit you and spin you right round in circles. You know? you spin me round like a record baby. <laughs> you know, it's, the wind always <laughs> waits till it sees you coming with something big I know. and flat. Oh, here it? he comes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I'll turn up at Abbey Road Studios. I said, "We made you an appointment. You're on the list. You'll be all right." You know, because right. I was quite friendly with the people at EMI Studios. So I turn up, you know, dressed like a loony, and it would be giant portfolio. I mean, it's a bloody huge thing, you know. And, and he, I, I'm there's kind of flight of stairs up to the door, right? So I climb up there, and there's not much room on the first step, or at least I don't think there was then. And so I rang the doorbell, and I went down a couple of steps, and I was standing there waiting. And the door opened a crack, and this face came out. 
and then, yes. <laughs> and and then the door opens a bit, and this guy's wearing a uniform like a an old-fashioned doorman from a hotel used to wear, oh. you know, with the peak cap and the, the lapels with the frilly bits on them, right. and and the whole bit with the fucking wartime medals. It looks like I right. Mean, <laughs> looks like some sort of admiral or something. Yeah, he's got a big handlebar moustache. He's looking. What can I do for you, mate? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I, 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 I've got an interview. <laughs> so he goes, he goes, are you on the list? And I go, yeah. <laughs> oh, so he slams the door. You know, I'm standing there in the cold. And um, a minute later, he comes back, and the door opens wide. He can come in, so the great big smile on his face. You know. <laughs> Something changed. <laughs> so, and where did the adventure go from there? Well, I went down to uh, Studio Two. It was, and I went up more stairs. I went downstairs first. He said, "Go and wait in the cafe area because they've got a little cafe bar down there." I couldn't get any coffee. There's nothing working. It was just right. sit on that chair, you know. And it, it turns out to be all curvy. Because it was designed by Roger Dean, who used to do the covers for Yes back in the 70s. Wow. Right, so I'm sitting in this thing that was built, uh, and the walls looked like they were decorated in the 60s. They had all the swirly 1960s patterns right. and one of these red and silver bar affairs that comes out of an American restaurant somewhere, you know. Oh, wow. Which you never see in England. <laughs> right, right. So it was really cool. I was sitting in the... This is good, you know. <laughs> and, then, and then they... Somebody comes and takes me down to the recording studio, which is like, I think it was up, up, up another flight of stairs, along a long corridor. And I don't know where I'm going, because I don't know shit about Abbey Road. That was just a Beatles record, you know. Right. So I'm wandering down this long tunnel. And, well, from the outside, Abbey Road looks like a house with a bit of a car park on each side. It doesn't look like anything special. Right. It's just a two-story, three-story house. And they're all like that down there because it's a posh area, you mm -hmm. know. And they're all like four or five-story houses, massive things. With a nice crosswalk outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and these guys just keep walking across it all day long. I don't know what that's Back about. <laughs> Bloody hippies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I get to this, oh, he said, go in there. So I go in there. And uh, it's a control room, right, for a, a recording studio, but it doesn't look like one. It's empty. It's, <laughs> there's wire on the floor, and the window's boarded up, and, and I like turn around, and they've got this big wooden arch thing in the middle of the room, and, and what looked like wooden cabinets. And, and so I walk in there, and there's a mixing desk, you know, but it's not a very big one, and it's just kind of stuck in the middle of the room. Right. I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> it's not like the pictures, you know. <laughs> this is where the Beatles recorded. Yeah. And um, so he's talking to me, you know, and the, the musicians come in, and they're all like, we're in Abbey Road, it's great, isn't it, mate? You know. <laughs> and um, History was made here. <laughs> yeah, lots of it, as it turns out. Um, so, and they've got this thing, this big black box with these flashing lights on it. And it was a vocoder. And at that time, I mean, vocoders, you can get software, hundreds of them. Then there was only three in the world, and Abbey Road had one of them. I think Abbey Road actually built them. <laughs> oh, wow. They were used for something military during the war, and, and then somebody found you could fuck sound up with them. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look what we can do. <laughs> and they were doing these vocals and vocoding them and shit like that. And anyway, the guy walks out, out of the room, 
and there's a, there's a window to my left, right, as I'm sitting there. And I look out the window, and I, I kind of looked at it, out of it before, and it, it was just a bit of a space, and some of those soundproofing panels with the holes in, you know, the, yeah. the ones they put on school roofs, uh, yeah. ceilings. So, and I thought, that's odd, he's disappeared. I look out there, and I, I expected to see him walking out there, you know, into the room. Oh, that's strange, he's disappeared, where's he gone? So I had a look, and it's not a little room like I thought it was. It's a fucking sports hall. It's Studio <laughs> 2, right? You can put orchestras in there, and it's about 50 feet high. Oh, wow. So the stairs go down the side, and I look uh, to the little microphones they'd set up at the bottom. Right? And I look in there, and, and there's these little tiny figures down the bottom. <laughs> and that piano where Paul McCartney's always photographed, you know. Right. <laughs> Loves I'm like, that Christ, thing. it's gigantic. Where the hell is it? You know, it, for, for a couple of years, I thought it was underground. Oh. Because I just, the car park's not that big. Right. Where is it? It's in the middle of London, surrounded by houses. Later on, I, I, I found maps of it, and it's all set back in between rows of houses. Oh, okay. So you can't really see most of it. Right. It's above ground for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> but it's massive. <laughs> so it's not an alternate dimension after all. No. Well, it kind of is, but not in that way. <laughs> it has a life of its own for sure. Yeah. So this, this adventure has taken you uh, the, uh, being an artist uh, and a self-taught artist to begin with, correct? Yeah, they threw me out of art school. Oh, did they? Yeah. I got thrown out of college. I got thrown out of art school. Uh, later on, I got thrown out of England. I, uh, uh, I even got thrown out of rock and roll. <laughs> I, I used to take, when I did Eddie, I took him round to these uh, record company people, right? And, and they, they didn't like it much, because, you know, rock and roll album covers were bollocks back then. It was all these airbrush right. tits and things, you know. Right. <laughs> Oh, good Lord. Anyway, <laughs> um, and so um, I got, I got in, the, in, in the record company and one, I, I was showing the art director, because there was only about four or five record companies back then, I was showing the art director the, this artwork and uh, Eddie, you know, and one of them said, Look, you look like a bloody nutter with your hair and your clothes, carrying these paintings around in the bag. Go home and get your bloody hair cut. Go on, get out of my office. Oh, wow. So I left. And the, there was a guy at Chrysalis, and it, it, you know, he had the stripy T-shirt and the big earring and the, the sweat-back slick hair and the big moustache, like that bloke from Magnum P.I. Right. Now, he looked like <laughs> one of them, you know, and I think he was gay, right? But he was weird. <laughs> which right. is more important <laughs> and he starts going on about how he hates my paintings and <laughs> and then he points to this picture on the wall which is a airbrush drawing one of those really slimy looking airbrush drawings right uh, of a girl uh, a burger waitress on roller skates bending over showing her knickers right right and it's for a band called nuts <laughs> n-u-t-z and i'm like what the what are you doing, porn? <laughs> and he says, this is what I think rock and roll album covers should be like. You can leave. So I went, okay. He said, pick up your paintings and go. So I did. Wow. And, um, That's so, just rude. You know, yeah, I've been thrown out of better places than this. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I've been thrown out of rock and roll. I'm too radical. <laughs> well, good. That's the way to be. Yeah. So... Um, 
Anyway, um, when I was doing um, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, yes, I walk into Iron Maiden's office, and this guy is sitting there, right? And he's in a meeting with the management, and, um, and when it's over, he comes over to me and, and, and kind of gives me his card and say, it was the worst thing I ever did throwing you out of my office. Here's my card. Do you want to come and work for my company? Well. And I was like, no, thanks, mate. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how the tables have turned. <laughs> what comes around fucking goes around. <laughs> so right back at you. Good. I, I, I love a, a, a good uh, a story like that where... Where the uh, where uh, it's almost a revenge story. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yes. And I did nothing. <laughs> well, you, you, you lived well and you worked well, so that's sometimes the best revenge. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Now, uh, as the uh, as the fans of, of uh, Iron Maiden know, um, Eddie was everywhere. If you bought one of those albums back when we still had vinyl, you got the little merch sheet where you could order stuff through the mail. And mm. younger listeners may not know this, but there's a a thing uh, called the post or the mail where you can actually send <laughs> <Yeah>. away <laughs> some form of payment and get some stuff back. Uh, there were t-shirts, buttons, mugs, everything you can imagine that were yeah. for sale in these albums. Sure, why not? <laughs> We've got an overhead announcer and we're just going to let her talk for a sec. All right, she has a good way of pointing out the obvious. We are open. We see the yeah. stampede occurring. <laughs> we'll probably have some people wanting to see you soon, so I won't keep you forever. I have a couple questions from the other guys, but uh, so what? I, the point I was getting to was, uh, you know, Eddie's image has been um, printed not only um, hundreds of thousands of times on hundreds of millions of different things, but every one of us back in the day uh, mimicked your drawings on our notebook covers and. Uh, while we're sitting in a class where we're supposed to be paying attention. And uh, I got to say that uh, uh, you inspired a lot of artists and a lot of people who went forward to do great things and more things uh, uh, have you to thank. And I want you to know that if, if no one's ever told you that. Uh, but it's much appreciated. And I know, like, uh, for example, you've done some work for the Iron Maidens, an all-female uh, maiden tribute band. I've done a lot of stuff that you've probably never seen. <laughs> You know, if you're just into metal, I've done a few metal covers, also done a whole ton of other stuff. Uh, and yeah, the, the Iron Maidens is an all-female tribute band, and they play really good. I mean, if they're in your location, go check them out, because awesome. they're not bullshitters. They no. really do it. No, they're legit. And um, um, I did them a cover, because I was friends with that, some of them, still am. Yeah. And so I do them covers, you know make them some money because <laughs> everybody's got the songs you know <laughs> and uh, so I I did it was Edwina you know yeah we called it Edwina <laughs> and they said it was Paris Hilton but it had gigantic tits so it wasn't Paris Hilton <laughs> I, I, I used to tell people it was Eddie who went up to Hollywood and got sex change you know because the background is Hollywood you know because oh, okay. they're, they're from LA right right so um, anyway I did a, a second I've got a second one on the way and this one's an oil painting that oh, I did. Great. So I'm back to doing that again because VR didn't cut it. <laughs> right. It takes three times as long to do anything, you know. Great. And uh, so, um, anyway, this time she's coming out of a hole in the ground in hell and she's dressed up like the Wicked Witch of the North, you know, from The Wizard of Oz, yeah. with the stripy tights and the ruby slippers. Awesome. And she's carrying a, a double neck guitar. 
which is made up to look like the legs of the Wicked Witch with the ruby slippers on, you know. That's brilliant. <laughs> and the painting's called The Bitches Back. Awesome. <laughs> I don't know what the album's going to be called. Probably Girls Rock Part 2 or something like that, you know. <laughs> but I called the painting The Bitches Back. <laughs> I love it. Um, real quick, I have a couple questions. Uh, I asked the co-hosts to give me uh, questions for you. Now, the first one was from Jolien. Um, I told you I have a, a co-host from England who, on the show, and uh, and he did have a question for you um, about uh, Electric Matthew. Were you thinking of any particular horror genre characters as you were developing him, or was his look based on something like real-life mummies? Where did no. Um, there were no horror genre characters that looked like Eddie back then. Right. There was, I think, three zombie films that were made in the... 40s and 50s or something mm -hmm. and two of those are in black and white and you know zombies yeah. some guy with face makeup that can't walk properly right yeah <laughs> um so they weren't very it wasn't a genre that anybody even cared about back then right you know um eddie was based on i needed a death figure i didn't want to use the skeleton and bones right because right. it bugs me right. the bones don't hang together right, right? when you see a skeleton it, it anywhere it's wired together yeah if you take the wire out if there's no muscles and, and sinews the bone falls apart right it's a pile of bones on the floor and it can't talk and it can't smile and it can't do anything much that's why all the death figures that came after Eddie failed <laughs> right. because you can't make an emotive figure with a skull it can look a bit menacing from the right angle and very very sad from the wrong angle because of the angle of the orbits of the skull right. it always looks like it's really pathetic you know right. <laughs> if you do it if you do it accurately so i wanted something that could emote right. something that could say things you know yeah and so it had to have flesh on it it had to be dried up dead body flesh right now i had a for reference, I had a, um, a photograph from Time magazine of a dried up skull on a tank. Now, uh, in the six, 60s, early 70s, this was in Time magazine, advertised, the, the subtext said, uh, an American's head on a Vietnamese tank, right? That's what it said. Oh, yeah. But later on, I saw the same picture labeled as... Uh, an American's head on a World War II German tank. So it may have been bullshit that somebody made up as kind of like demonize the enemy kind of thing. Right. L like your parents do to us when we listen to metal. And they come <laughs> around and try and get you exercised and things, you know. <laughs> Which happened to one guy. <laughs> he came out, he got into metal, put all his stuff on the wall, you know. He came home and his mother was in there with the priest and they were like exercising the room. <laughs> Splash, splashing. Like, Mum, really? <laughs> splashing all those expensive posters with yeah. holy water. Yeah, and of course they all burst into flames. Yeah, you know? naturally. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I went back to this picture because its its provenance may have been a bit dubious, mm -hmm. but it had the texture. It had that dried up skin look because... Uh, I wanted, I wanted it to be anatomically correct. Right. You know, long nails because the skin draws back and the. Right. You know, they say the nails keep growing, but I'm not sure that's true. That was a vampire myth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the uh, the skin all dries up. You know, the the mouth Pulls draws back into a sneer. All of that stuff happens because I researched all of this. You yeah. know, and this was the only photographic reference I could find. 
Some people say, oh, it was inspired by that. No, it wasn't. It's different. That I used as reference for the skin. Gotcha. Right? That, that, when you're painting a picture, you can't possibly know what everything looks like. Nobody yeah. can. No. It can't, you can't do it. It can't be done. Yeah. Right? You have to go and get reference. You have to go and look. Otherwise, your painting ends up with shite, basically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, we had one other one here. Um, this is a question from Chris Ryall. He's the editor-in-chief of IDW Publishing and a big fan of your work. Um, his question is, would you do a comic book cover for me? <laughs> People keep asking me that, and it's, I don't mind. Yeah. But how much are you paying, <laughs> and will that cover the amount of work involved? There was one guy who came, he, he wanted something like Somewhere in Time for 500 bucks. Somewhere in Time took two and a half months. Right. Can you work two and a half months for 500 bucks? No. <laughs> Not going to happen. Yeah, I stopped doing that in my teens. So the, so the answer is uh, yes, if the, if, the, if the dollar amount is correct. It de yeah. yeah, it depends what you want. If you want a full-on painting, not a chance in hell. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's, I, my originals go for like three and a half grand for a, one of these pen and ink drawings, you know. Yeah. Um, because it takes a while, and yeah. you can't buy them in Walmart. You right, know. right. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, probably not so good for me. You can buy Iron Maiden in Walmart. You know, uh, yeah. I guess that's true. <laughs> well, let's bring it around to your book. Tell us about your book, and then I will let you to your public, because I know people are waiting. Well, the book was published by an Iron Maiden fan. It didn't have much to do with Iron Maiden. They collected all the pictures up that they could find that were mine, and... When they came to me with this idea, um, I said, okay then. And I, I, I had a load of stuff that I'd done and I gave that to them and all the, the highest quality copies I had. Maiden wouldn't help, wouldn't give us any slides. We asked them for access to the original paintings. They wouldn't give us access. They thought I didn't know how to handle paintings hmm. and I might scratch them, you know. Duh. <laughs> Somebody tell them. <laughs> so anyway, um, so we did the best we could, could we could do, and there's there's something like 80 pictures in there, and they are high quality. They're not shit ones. Right. We got good versions, um, and there's 50,000 words of text because I did a series of interviews with Martin Popoff. Yeah. And they may not be completely linear because Martin was supposed to sort it out and make it linear, see? Yeah. And he didn't, he just transcribed it. Actually, I think he gave it to some secretary and said, yeah, I'll transcribe that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's an entertaining read by all accounts. Sure. But I've never read it myself, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got art to make, you know? Yeah, I'm busy, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I left them to do it. I'd have designed the inside myself. Yeah. You know, but I was just too busy. Yeah. So uh, I've got another book in mind, which is a bit more technically orientated. It might have oriented. Oriented, I think. My English is getting very, very not goodly these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I don't know what's going to happen with that one. It, I may do it digitally or we may crowdfund it or yeah. something. Yeah. Because it's this one is... Martin's good at talking to the fans and asking the questions fans want to know. Right. But a lot of them are still left with questions. Right. You know, 
and, and there's some technical things I think people might find interesting. I don't want to get too kind of hyperarty geeky with it, you know, because yeah. people are, who gives a fuck what airbrush you use, you know, <laughs> and what's an airbrush? You know? <laughs> right. Not everyone um, knows. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, it's a work in progress in my head at the minute, you know. Trouble is a lot of the pictures might end up being the same, so I'm going to have to rethink that a bit. Right. So people don't feel like they're getting ripped off. <laughs> so where can the listeners uh, find this? They can, two places. One is on my website. Which is? com. Easy to remember mm-hmm. once you know who the hell I am. <laughs> and you left the Dr. Death part out of the middle. <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> there wasn't room, really. <laughs> um, and the other place is on Amazon.com. Okay. Because um, Amazon sell everything to everyone. Right. So you, you Amazon it and it will come up. Uh, don't go to eBay because you'll get ripped off. Yeah. There's guys selling second-hand copies for like 300 bucks saying, oh, it's out of print, they don't make it anymore, but it's not out of print. Yeah, I, I can sell you a new one tomorrow. Right. Can, In fact, five minutes from now, I can sell you a new one. I can see a stack of In fact, I will. <laughs> and you will, actually. Whether you want one or not. <laughs> so the, the book is called Run for the Cover, The Art of Derek Riggs. Yeah. And that book is... Um, it's all my fault, yeah. Yeah, it's all It's a a beautiful disaster. Yeah, it's actual, actual documented evidence of my misspent youth. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I know some people are waiting, so um, if uh, if you've said said everything you want to say, then uh, we're gonna we're gonna call it a show and uh, and get this going. It's a show. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and uh, much respect due for the uh, uh, great work you've done and. and keep keep doing it. I'll have a go. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, listeners. <laughs>